Here's Galchenyuk dancing and scores! And now it's Gallagher. Gallagher stepping in and shoots scores! Alex Galchenyuk up with a drop, Splikenitz, he's in alone, waiting, scores! Hello, monsieur, ladies and gentlemen, accueillons Galchenyuk! Oh, my stars, what a stop by Carey Price, robbing Sidney Crosby! This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net with your host, Chris G. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 181 of the Habs 360 podcast for the Saturday, December 23rd, 2016. My name is Chris G, and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. Today's episode is a special best of episode, as we'll bring you some of the best moments of the season. We're going to replay our interview with Douglas Gallivan from CBC Montreal and our discussion with former NHL player Bobby Dulles. But first, we're going to start with a discussion that Rick Stevens, editor-in-chief and owner of the All Habs Network of Sites, and I had on December 3rd, following an article on NHL.com that had Michel Terrier ranked as third in the race for the Jack Adams Award for Best Coach in the NHL. Well, I want to know who's this 13-member panel? The, is, are these 13 interns in, in the NHL offices? They never, they never mention who the 13 members are. Um, the, the voting is silly. It's really silly. Uh, Elaine Vigneault is way out ahead, um, almost twice as many uh, uh, votes or points, uh, they call them, as, uh, as Tarion. But in second place, John Tortorella, who in their right mind thinks that John T- Tortorella is the second best coach in the NHL? Uh, Vino is a good coach. He's, he's certainly up there. Um, but you, you have John Hines and John Tortorella bracketing um, Michelle Therrien. None of the three of them are, are none of them. Uh, put all three of them together and you don't have a good coach. Um, in the in the, the the preseason, the score did uh, rank the um, uh, coaches and and actually gave some reasoning where, where this uh, this little poll didn't. Uh, Tarion was twenty fourth on the list. I think Tortorella was thirtieth. Uh, um, I mean this this is this is silly. The, and the the this particular little voting thing excludes the three coaches who by consensus are acknowledged as the three best coaches in the league, um, Mike Babcock, Joel Quenville, Barry Trotz. I don't, I think um, uh, Babcock had two points on this, this silly little voting system. Um, It's, it's, it's completely bogus. As far as um, Tarion being a good coach, there was a, a really good article a couple years back appeared on CBS sports and um, it just, you know, the first thing that people say is, well, yeah, uh, Canadian, uh, um, Michelle Tarion's system doesn't produce um, much offense because he's so defensively minded and he teaches defense and he prides himself on his defense. He's a terrible defensive coach. Um, 
in in that that article on CBS Sports, it goes back to 2001 with his st- first stint with Montreal, then on with Pittsburgh. It shows that the Canadians are um, near the Canadians and the Penguins, and right up to the present, um, are near the bottom of the league when it comes uh, to shots for. So they don't generate any offense, but they're also in the bottom of the league when it comes to shots against. They give up more than more shots than than most teams um the this year shots for the canadians are 23rd shots against they're 25th in the league and what does this article say it says the the thing that that tarion relies on is goaltending in each the, in each case um when you go right back to to 2001 you go the first stint with Montreal, if you go to Pittsburgh, he relies on being uh, his goaltenders being strong in save percentage. This year, Canadians goals against, they're third in the league. Save percentage, first in the league. So his entire career, he has ridden the backs of goaltenders. That's it. What, what does he offer? What, what, is his, what is his strength? Line blending. He, he puts lines in the blender. That's how he solves problems. His teams aren't prepared, regularly aren't prepared. He can't make adjustments throughout the game. Uh, he talks at, at, you know, no puck luck. This is a bad coach. He always has been a bad coach, and his, his players have covered up the fact that he's a bad coach. Um, and, you know, we talked about the, the minutes management earlier. Um, it, it's just ridiculous. You know, you look at, at David Darnay, one power play point this season, one, one last season, three power play goals, two power play assists. And yet who, who you can count on it. Who's going to come over, over the boards the second wave when the Canadians have a power play. It's unbelievable. And, and his management of, of, Darnay is ridiculous as it is. Darnay scored twice. That was in the Canadians. Uh, he's got three goals on the season. Two of those goals were in the Canadians' home opener back on the 18th. And they were both two-foot putts. You could have made them. Um, they were incredible passes. One from Pacioretty, one from Petrie. Darnay's standing there. He taps them in. I, I'm not getting on Darnay, but get me on Tarion and yeah, this is, he's, he's a bad, bad coach. We saw that last December. He was at fault for the, the collapse in December. Um, and, and we're seeing he's unable to, to get the best out of his pretty good team this year. Uh, so I didn't appreciate that cheap shot you took on me for the scoring. <laughs> no, actually, I'd, you said I'd be able to score, so that's fine. No, I said, yeah, uh, I gave you credit. Yeah, so that's good, I guess, right? Scoring a goal at David Darnay. You're, be- you're better than David Darnay. I'm going to declare that right now. On the ice, you are better than David Darnay. <laughs> and, and the funny part is, I don't know how to skate. So, so that will make it quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going back to the poll, um, I think it's hard 
so the poll that they that they posted on oh sorry it's not a poll it's the the, the results of the um, of the voting that was done on NHL.com after quarter of the season is I think it's hard not to put Michel Terrier in, in that uh, discussion. I'm not saying that I'd give him the, the award. I wouldn't if the season was over now for the Jack Adams. But I think he has to be part of the um, of the discussion. The, the team is has been first place for, uh, in the NHL for the entire season up until a couple of days ago. Whether it's because it's goaltending, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Carey Price is part of the team. If you look at Joel Quenville, he has Taze, he has Corey Crawford in in uh, in net, he has Kane, he has players. He he has a, a very good core of players, even better than the Canadians' core of players. So they're part of the of the team uh, as well. Look at the Rangers uh, for Alan Vigneault, because they have a goalie, a solid goaltender like uh, like Henrik Lundqvist, but they do have a lot more other elements uh, besides goaltending. For them, uh, John Tortorella, I'm a little bit surprised that he he's on uh, he's on that list. But when it comes overall to Michel Therrien, if I look at his uh, stats since he came back as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, in the in the shortened season, in 48 games, 63 points. You know, Canadiens lost in round one of the playoffs. Then 100 points went all the way to the conference final. Then it was 110 points they lost in uh, round two. Last year, it was, a, it was a bad season for everybody, including the coach, uh, Michel Terry. It was a bad season as well for the general manager, Mark Bergevin. And if you look at them now, again, first place in the Eastern Conference. They're one point behind the, the Chicago Blackhawks. And, well, when it comes to the NHL, especially when it comes to, uh, to coaches, what really matters for them are wins and losses and points. It doesn't matter how you get them. The important thing is you get them. And besides last year, I think Michel Terry has, you know, has done what he has to do. Has it always been, have I always, have I always agreed with all his decisions? Obviously not. But it's, uh, to me, you have to put him in that, uh, in that discussion. So third spot, I think, is a fair position right now for this quarter of the season uh, for Michel Terrier. And I know that's not the uh, popular belief from the Habs uh, nation, but, uh, you know, but that's okay. There was actually an email, uh, sorry, an email, a tweet that was sent, that was tweeted out by uh, Brian Wild uh, this morning. So I'll read it to you because it's a very interesting uh, thread. So Brian writes, many of you are up in Terry's grill and I wrote a condemning fact-based article last year. However, I do not see these errors this year. For example, I criticized him harshly for using uh, David Arnais 34 straight games as first unit power play without a point. Not this year, Galchenyuk is first unit. He missed timeouts when the game was on the line and used fourth liners. He used third power play unit laid down by one. Again, not happening. They were both offside calls he didn't challenge and clear goaltending interference he didn't challenge. Not this year. He has a budding star Galchenyuk on for 12 minutes per game and on wing. 
not this year. Ask Gopchenyuk ice is at 16.17. Could be higher, but you're parsing. The big word again. I don't know what that means. Uh, the big complaints I wrote my fact-based article on are simply not there. He's not making those game-changing errors. Now, if you're asking me to complain about the system of Michel Terrier or other things personal, I never did that. I haven't had those issues. The problem on the Habs is simple, and it's not uh, Michel Terrier. The power play is fifth in the NHL with Galchenyuk, Karadzulov, Shea Weber. Massive change. No, the problem is simple. Habs secondary scoring has dried up. They have six goals in four games. Plekanis can't add any offense as a second center. So empty has had to rely on David Arne too much. That causes issues at all centers. Either Plekanis finds old Plekanets or this issue a season long. They need a, uh, a number two center, win in the middle, win the game. They get a second C, opens up first line, relegates Plekanis to defensive role against top centers. Perfect structure for a long playoff run, riding Carey Price. As you heard, Rick and I disagreed on the topic, and while if you listen to us regularly, you know that it's not unusual. We're going to take a break, still to come, former NHL defenseman Bobby Dulles, but coming up next is Douglas Gallivan from CBC Montreal. Stay with us, this is the Habs 360 podcast, futurenohabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, visit the podcast page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes for our archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Don't live close to Montreal? Ever feel like you're the only Habs fan in town? Chances are good that there are plenty of fellow fans just around the corner. And HabsTweetUp.com will help you find them. If you're interested in hosting a hockey party in your city, visit HabsTweetUp.com for more details. You'll be connected to other Habs fans near you in no time. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to showyourhabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. This is the Habs 360 Podcast, featured on allhabs.net.
Welcome back to episode 181, the special best of episode of the Habs 360 podcast for this Saturday, December 23rd, 2016. My name is Chris G and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. On October 22nd, the Canadiens had a record of 3-1 after the first four games of the season. Carey Price hadn't played a game yet as he was sidelined with a virus. Douglas Galvin from CBC Montreal joined us to talk about the Habs start of the season and we asked him whether Habs fans need to be excited about the start of the season. Uh, absolutely. I think um, this is about as good as you could ask for. I mean, we saw what happened last year after a good start, so you don't want to get too, too far ahead of yourselves. But there's a lot of good signs here. And, uh, you know, Bergevin spoke about it a lot in the offseason, how much better the team improved just with having uh, Carey Price healthy and back with the team. And uh, I think we're inching towards that. You know, he wasn't maybe needed so much in that 5-2 victory over Arizona the other night. But uh, tonight will be a great test for him against Boston. It'll be a great test for the team against Boston, I think, as well on the road. You know, their victories aren't really jumping off the page right now. You know, they beat a Buffalo team that's probably not going to make it into the playoffs. They beat, uh, They lost to Ottawa, who, you know, might be a borderline playoff team this year. They beat Pittsburgh, but without Sidney Crosby, is that the real Pittsburgh Penguins? I don't think so. So a, a version of the Stanley Cup champions went down, and then you have a game against the Arizona Coyotes, a team with just a lot of youth, whose best player is uh, 40-year-old Shane Doan, who's trying to lead those uh, youngsters. I believe they have seven guys who are 21 or under on that team. So you, you don't have any of these sort of uh, marquee victories for the team, but like the old saying in sports goes, you can only beat the teams that are on your schedule in front of you. And Habs have done what they needed to do so far. And those two home wins were quite impressive. I mean, yes, it didn't, uh, you weren't playing against Sidney Crosby, but uh, I've seen them come out in home openers before. I want to remember one against Calgary a number of years ago where they just looked flat after those ceremonies and uh, boy, did they have a lot of jump in their step after that ceremony. There, there seems to be a different feeling uh, in the dressing room uh, with this team right now, at least. And I think Max Pacioretty, uh, a guy who took a lot of mud over the offseason for uh, his leadership ability. And then, of course, that whole uh, rumor about Terrian saying uh, that he was the worst captain uh, in team history brought up a lot of people who, uh, you know, maybe had anything to say against Max Pacioretty. They started coming out of the woodwork. Uh, it sort of allowed them to do that. But uh, he's been one of the more highlight parts of this team right now as far as him stepping up. He's mingling it up in scrums. It looks like he wants to be there. I mean, the emotion on his face when he got the torch from Jacques Demers was uh, just classic. And then he comes out and scores a goal 23 seconds later. I, you know, if you're questioning a guy's leadership and his ability to kind of uh, pull the room, uh, he's given us a number of examples already early in this season that he's a committed guy and he's ready to pull this team uh, back in the right direction. Uh, I, I thought a lot of the uh, criticism over him for his first year was a little premature. I wrote earlier this week that, uh, 
uh, trying to judge Pacioretty on just one year as captaincy is like throwing George Lazenby into the who is the best James Bond debate out there. And uh, you can't really do that if you ask me, because the guy only made one movie and the script wasn't any good, right? So you never know if he was put out there in another movie, if it would have been a different situation. And I kind of liken that to how Pacioretty has to deal with this now. He got a, he got a bad script last year. It, uh, it didn't go in his favor. So let's see what he does uh, with a good script and uh, some good producers. And uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see where he goes from there. Hey, Douglas, it's uh, Rick Stevens. Uh, great to have you back again. Um, Thanks, Rick. I, I'm going to be the guy, I'm going to be that guy who raises the uh, Subban Weber uh, trade. And, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to blame you halfway because uh, you wrote this week, and I thought it was brilliant. Um, you said that, that uh, the trade has left a yawning chasm, chasm of divided opinion in the, in the Habs fan base. Um, there's, there's, there's some that are, are doing these mental or these numerical gymnastics to discredit Weber. There's fans mm-hmm. taking out ads. What's with all the drama? What's going on in Montreal? Is this, is this hockey or a soap opera? Uh, it's more soap opera than it is hockey. Like I said, in that uh, article, there's two different types of fans that I keep running into. It's, uh, the fans that are, the Habs are dead to me now. I only watch hockey because it's entertaining. And yes, Weber might make this team a little bit better, but I go for the entertainment value. And if Weber's not going to be the guy to put the Habs over the top and win the Stanley Cup, why am I going to go spend my money uh, to go down there? And then you have the other side, which is the people who sort of see themselves as a, a bit more enlightened in the level of business around hockey. And they're saying, that uh, this is just a hockey deal, it's a business deal, it's a one-for-one trade, and the Montreal Canadiens are better off for at least on the ice right now. But you you can't really discount uh, what Subban meant to this community. I mean, I run into a lot of people who tell me they weren't even hockey fans before P.K. Subban came around, and they're Subban fans before they are Montreal Canadiens fans. So for them, uh, these are the people who you kind of were bringing into the big tent of fandom for this team to, to do this to a player for a, a strictly business reason or a hockey reason doesn't necessarily uh, jive with them. And I can understand the argument that they're making. You know, if, if they honestly don't believe, if they believed that Weber was the difference between winning a Stanley Cup and losing uh, or not winning a Stanley Cup, There'd be a lot more people on board uh, with the Subban trade, but a lot of them are wondering, you know, if I go to the Bell Center, Subban used to, when he touched the puck, it was almost like electricity flew across the ice, up into the stands, into your television sets, and shot you right in the eyes. Like, you couldn't miss him when he was on the ice. Weber doesn't play that kind of uh, exciting game in the same way, just from the eyeball test and you can go with the numbers and I've seen that website now that uh, compares the two guys and there's all that stuff that's out there. Uh, But the bottom line is the eyeball test. And for a lot of the casual fan, the one who doesn't have any idea what Corsi means or what advanced analytics even are the most upset with this and and especially those new fans as well. So uh, I can understand both sides of it, uh, but I do also have to say for a point for Shea Weber, when he hit that slap shot on uh, Thursday night, that was pretty darn exciting. You know, it Mm -hmm. it comes in flashes with him. It's a, it's a hit here. It's a big boom and slot shot there, but it's not every time he touches the puck like Subban did. So, 
Um, and it's just an eyeball test. You can you can go through the numbers, but that's a lot where the difference between a lot of fans and uh, hockey aficionados lie. You know, there are people who are really you know into you know who's on the fourth line of this team, who's in the uh, uh, farm system for this team, who's coming up, and then there are the fans who just kind of tune in on Saturday nights and the playoffs and be entertained. And Subban is a guy who did that for them on a regular basis for, what, seven years since he was with this team. So for them, I can understand why they're upset and uh, maybe feigning interest or uh, saying that uh, they're not going to be watching hockey anymore. We'll see how things go because sometimes the hype of the team uh, in certain points of the season will overcome that. And it's not like they don't have uh, stars on this team. Carey Price is still uh, the best goaltender in the world and, and, and a huge draw and uh, someone that uh, the casual fan can really uh, latch on to. But, uh, but losing Subban really did hurt the fan base, uh, I think. Um, and it's not going to be something that the people who are upset about it are going to get over uh, very, very quickly. And I don't think you should have to ask them to do that. You know, and it, it kind of comes down to one of those arguments in a relationship. If someone's just saying like, oh, just get over it, get over it. How well does that go over when you have a fight in a relationship with someone? It never goes over well when that's the kind of tone that you take with people. And hockey's an emotional game and people come for entertainment reasons, and uh, if you're going to just discredit them by saying get over it's a hockey deal, that's not going to get us anywhere. So uh, that's uh, kind of where I see this trade uh, hashing out right now. But I do believe, I mean, I, you've probably heard this line before, but uh, in the next two years, uh, this is a pretty good move for the Habs as far as getting Shea Weber in his 31 years old, 32 years old, 33 years old. It's where the deal looks 10 years down the line or five years down the line when Subban's kind of rolling into his prime and Weber is rolling out of his prime is where this one might bite the butt of the Habs. But at the same time, I understand why you'd want to take that win now uh, mentality with this team. And I don't think they're kind of completely sold out to win now at this point yet, but you can see them moving in that direction with this Weber trade. You've got a goaltender in Carey Price who's in the prime of his career right now, and you're going to want to make every single effort to win now with a player like that. Are they at that point just yet with the players that they have uh, on the roster? I don't think so, but you know, maybe a, a piece here, a piece there, and another couple big shots Shocking moves could throw this team into that conversation. And uh, when you have a player like Carey Price, you have to make those efforts uh, to win it now because the saddest thing that would ever happen would be sort of a conservative approach that uh, just saw Carey Price burn out the best of his years uh, behind a team that wasn't going to have any real legitimate shot of getting over the top and winning the Stanley Cup. Right. Uh, 18-year-old Mikhail Sergachev, he's played three games for the Canadians so far. Uh, tonight, he's expected to be out of the lineup and Craig Pattern coming in. Uh, do we see Sergachev playing, do you see Sergachev playing the entire season or is he going to head back to Windsor before we know it? Well, he's exciting, isn't he? And I, yeah. I, I'm not entirely sure uh, what the team is going to decide. I'd like to see him stay. I mean, I've seen him play over these, these three games. That, I mean, watching him in the preseason is one thing. But in Buffalo, he didn't look that great. And then he took the night off in Ottawa. The home opener, he looked better. I mean, he didn't play much of that third period. But Tarion did go out and say that 
that didn't have much to do about his play. It had more to do with the fact that there was just a heap load of penalties that uh, were happening at that point. And then he did look like he was just gaining confidence with every single shift that he was getting in that Arizona game, you know, jumping up into the play a little bit, uh, using that long reach that he has. I think he's a guy who's just going to continue to improve. And then if you look at the alternatives as replacements for him, do those guys really get you excited as, you know, sixth defenseman on this team? I mean, what is really the upside for a Greg Patteron or a Mark Barbario? or Zach Redmond. I mean, these guys are roster players. They might be solid defensemen, but are they the kind of guys, again, when we're talking about entertainment versus the business aspect, is Sergachev better on the entertainment side than these guys? Is this something that you're going to want to give the people to watch? And I'm a person who likes being entertained a little bit, and I think Sergachev and watching his progression this year would be a lot of fun to watch. That being said, we know this organization, we know the kind of approach that they take, and we also know that defensemen generally take longer to become steady, reliable NHLers than forwards do. A defenseman cracking into the league at 18 is extremely rare. Any 18-year-old is rare, so it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they do send him back to junior for one more year, Um, but he looks like he can play at the NHL level. We'll see if the Montreal Canadiens are conservative or if they want to take a risk with this kid and keep him up because what's coming up behind him doesn't exactly get my uh, hair raised on my arm very much uh, for this team. But Sergachev, the ceiling, as you like to say, and I know that word potential is a very dangerous one, but the ceiling for this kid looks very, very high. And you just have to worry about what his development is going to be. Is his development going to be better served in junior or is it going to be better served playing in the NHL? I think that if you get put into a situation where everybody is playing above you, you're going to play up to that level. And that's what I think. If you put him down in junior, I don't know. Maybe he can work on some of those skills, those individual skills. But as far as fitting into the team concept and growing into an NHLer, maybe it's better for him to stay up this year. I'd like to see that. We'll see what the team decides after the ninth game. I think that's the key is what's, what's the best move for his development. Exactly. Um, listen, there's been, uh, we've talked about lots of changes uh, to the roster in the off season, kind of an under, under the radar, given all the, the, the news about the other um, um, ads to the, the lineup was, was kind of mm-hmm. the acquisition of Kirk, Kirk Muller. Um, yes. And, and as an associate coach, not a, an assistant coach. So, uh, and 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 let's let's just uh, acknowledge that he's going to improve the power play. But beyond the power play, can you speak to his influence on on the team, on the locker room, on even uh, Michelle Terrian? Well, you know, he's always been known as a players' coach and a guy who really does get along with the players, and the fans take to him too. I mean, did you hear that rousing oh, yeah. applause that yeah. he got oh, yeah. in the opening game? That was uh, that was really impressive um but you know when you have uh, an assistant coach like that's generally the role of an assistant coach on the team is to be the buddy buddy guy uh, with the players if you're if you're looking at uh, a coaching structure you need kind of the good cop bad cop scenario you know and uh Kirk Muller plays the good cop really really well and he's a guy who the players respect uh, to the end the fans respect 
uh, to the ends. And it's interesting that associate coach title that he got. Um, Terry was even saying at uh, the golf tournament that he's having trouble uh, spitting that term out because it's a new one for him. Uh, He's not used to having someone sort of not necessarily on his level, but close to his level uh, there. So uh, I don't know if it does – well, it's, it's, it's a great thing for the players. For Terry and you have to think it feels like there's a guy breathing right down your neck right now. They have a succession plan in place if anything goes wrong at this point. And you know he's on thin ice despite the fact that Bergevin put his entire lot behind him uh, last year because another repeat or a slump of last, like any sort of similar situation to what happened last year. And you know, uh, Terrian's the last uh, piece of armor that Bergevin has up protecting himself. So uh, it, it's kind of, I, I don't know if that motivates Bergevin or uh, Terrian to, uh, to change his ways a little bit, uh, but in any case, it makes it a lot more interesting. The dynamic has completely changed in that sense, and you have to like it from the player side of things to have that guy. I don't think they had that uh, on the team in past years with the assistant coaches that they had as far as those guys might have been, you know, there for the players, but not in the same way that Kirk Muller is. He's a guy who can, uh, you know, if you're thinking about sitting down and having a beer with somebody, Kirk Muller would probably be a really good one. That was Douglas Gillivan, a pretty good guy to sit down and have a beer with as well. Doug is a sports anchor on CBC Montreal and a columnist on the CBC Home Run on 88.5 FM. And you can follow him on Twitter at DGillivan. It's time for a break. Coming up next is former NHLer Bobby Dallas. Stay with us. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the St. John's Ice Caps or the Brampton Beast more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. Hi, I'm Chris G. The Habs 360 podcast and Anthony from r2canvas.com are pleased to announce the return of the Habs contest this season. The contest will run during every Habs home game in the regular season and will give you the opportunity to win a great prize courtesy of r2canvas.com. Listen to the Habs 360 podcast and follow Habs 360 and Habs Happy on Twitter for more details. And for high-quality canvas art at a reasonable price, visit r2canvas.com. Good luck. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com.
This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to episode 181, special best of episode of the Habs 360 podcast for this Saturday, December 23rd, 2016. My name is Chris G and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. On Friday, November 4th, the Canadians lost 10-1 against the Columbus Blue Jackets. At that time, the Habs had a record of 9-2-1, but it was pretty negative in Habs Nation. We started off by asking former NHLer Bobby Dulles if he has ever been on the losing end of a blowout during his 15-plus year career in the NHL. I can, you know, to be honest, I mean, I never, I don't recall ever losing a game like 10 nothing or, you know, like 9-1. to I mean, I think I lost, uh, I lost some games where it was like 5 to one or five nothing that kind of stuff but when you started getting up into double digits i don't think that happens too often i know back back in my day i think when it would get up when it got up to maybe about four or five there would have been some kind of big fight to calm things down i think the other team gets to mess also i didn't see any of that last night there was definitely no no fight back from the munchau Canes last night so what happened last night well, look, uh, for, for me personally, I've been, I've been talking about it all week over here in Montreal. I was on with uh, Chris Nyland, you know, uh, this week on, on Thursday, and we're talking about the, the previous two games, you know, the Toronto and the, the Vancouver games. And I said, look, I see, I see a lot of things happening here where the, the Canadians, they're just putting their sticks on the ice and they're relying on goaltending to win games and, and, and basically trying to score a couple of goals and just the competitive. And, and I think what ends up happening is they become very, very passive, very complacent, and I think they got exposed last night. I mean, uh, arguably, I think I think Toronto should have should have beat them. Vancouver, if they knew how to score goals, should have beat them. And and, and last night they got beat badly. So let's see how the the Montreal Canadiens are going to be bouncing back tonight. On le voyait venir comme au baseball, là, on sort d'une série mondiale. Là. On voyait ça venir comme une grosse, grosse curveball. Si longtemps que tu ne te brûles pas, il euh, y a jamais de bonnes choses qui vont arriver. Hey Bobby, it's uh, Rick Stevens, All Habs on Twitter. Um, really happy you're with us today. Um, we just heard that clip from uh, Terry, and, and last night in his post-game presser, he said uh, that it was a tough game, um, and that uh, it was a bit of a curveball. He used a baseball analogy. But he said that the coaching staff, um, the coaching staff, we saw this coming. Um, if, if the coaching staff saw it coming, why didn't they do something to prevent it? Well, look, uh, let's face it, Rick. I mean, the thing is, you cannot win 80, 80 games. It's impossible, you know. That can, that, that, that's a given. Now, you can win your fair share of games, uh, and that's also a given. But I think that when you do see things like this habit forming, you know, like I was talking earlier about the two previous games, you know, Toronto and Vancouver, Montreal got outplayed and they saw, and like they said, they saw how it was unfolding. They saw where it was going. You know, I was using an expression this morning with a friend of mine. I says, you know, my father was told to go to the, the store and, and buy some milk. And, it, and his father gave him a slap in the face first before he, before he left. And he goes, why'd you slap me in the face? Well, it was because if you're thinking of building it, I'm going to slap you now. So it's like if you see if you see that it's coming, why wouldn't you try to slap him in the face and say, "Hey, we see this coming. Let's do something about it. Let's address it right away." Instead of saying after, 
oh, you know what, we were just sitting here on our hands and we didn't do anything about it. And I think that's what was more disappointing because I, I, I saw it forming. I think a few people saw it forming. Uh, and, and, that, and that's when you see that, you've got to be able to gra- grab the bull by the horn and say, hey, guys, you've won nothing so far. Last year, your record was this, and you didn't even make it to playoffs. You know, the, these kind of things have to be put in their face all the time. Can't always, it's like, can't always be rainbows out there. You've got to be able to pull, reel those guys in and say, look, guys, it's got to be serious. This is, this is what's happening. We see a lot of bad habits, a lot of things forming. Let's do something about it. Like you said, just saying we saw it coming and didn't do anything about it, I think that's unacceptable. One of the things that um, there's been, was a lot of criticism last night on social media uh, headed toward uh, David Darnay, and uh, he had a he had a terrible game last night. Minus three was in the penalty box for the uh, the first goal. Uh, but again, this is something um, we t- we talked about it before you came. Any of my game recaps, I too have been seeing this this slide that I I, I talked about. Um, where the Canadians are relying more and more on goaltending. And it was back at the Islanders game when Terrian reunited Dayarnay with, with Pacioretty um, and really scrambled the rest of the lines. And since then, we haven't seen anything from... Uh, in, in the four games in the lead-up to last night, Dayarnay has no goals, no shots, no points, uh, no, no nothing. Um, what, what does, what does Terrian see in him or that combination with... Uh, patch ready that that he keeps sending them there without any changes well i think this is the million dollar question i think a lot of us have been asking this for uh not just this year we're talking about years now why do you keep going to a guy that i that i at best is a a third line center able to jump up and play a little bit of power play to help out in some scenarios and I think that, that the raises a bigger, a bigger red flag, basically saying you don't trust in Galchenyuk. And, 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 and for myself, I think Galchenyuk is the number one guy. Uh, right now, it's, you know, who is the number two? Placanitz is not playing well. Deharna is not playing well. So who do you have in that slot? I think that's a bigger, bigger red flag right now for the Montreal Canadiens, basically saying uh, we don't have anybody. We're just going to keep trying to mix it up underneath and we're going to rely on our goaltending in the meantime and try and win games two to one or, or three to two. That's that's what they're basically saying. And, and it's and it's for me, I'm not happy about it. And, and why? Because I think David 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 had it better years. His better years are behind him. People know how to play him. He's getting a little bit older. Uh, last year of his contract. It's, you know, stop giving him the opportunities to gain another contract instead of trying to out and maybe put somebody in that spot. Myself, personally, I think it's a good, a good time to bring up a guy like Michael McCarron and put him in that third slot and, and just get things going the way they're supposed to be going in the National Hockey League. Is it easy for the players now to put last night's game behind and be focused on tonight's game? Like, is there anything positive that could come out of a 10 nothing loss? Well, I'll tell you what, the positive thing about last night's game, it was such a game that it's one of those games that if you had a VHS or a, or a CD of the game, you don't even look at it. You just throw it in the garbage. It's, it's one of those explosion videos. You just throw it, you burn it, and say, it's not going to happen again because there ain't nothing good you're going to pull off that tape. Unless you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, there's nothing good you're pulling off that tape. So you've got to be able to say, look, that was a stinker. We weren't prepared. We weren't this. That's fine and dandy to say. 
Now step on the ice and, and show it. Because, you know, last night, I, like I said, guys, I, I understand the game has changed. There's not much fighting. There's not much of that stuff going on. But when it was around 4, four or 5 nothing, somebody should have been accountable and say, this is enough. This is embarrassing. Uh, you know, just step up and do something. You grab somebody, throw something in the ground. You know, a couple of guys do this scrum, the hug, whatever you want to call it that. Just to say to the other guys, hey, guys, respect us. Because last night, I didn't see any respect. Columbus just kept coming, and Montreal looked like a bunch of little sheep out there, and they were just getting rolled over. So the best thing to do uh, is to, to, to put this game behind and, and file forget it. about it. File it. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah for but, sure. But do you think, I mean, does it happen when a game like that, um, does it get referenced later on in the season that, hey, remember, it, you know, we should learn from? And I guess the, the, the part two of the question is, is your team's reference, do other teams in the league reference this game? In other words, hey, the Canadians are coming in out unbeaten, they're, they're intimidating, they have a bit of a swagger until last night, and then... You know, teams can say, "Hey, if if Columbus, the 26th place team, can beat them 10 nothing, we can beat them." Well, I, I think in a lot of ways that that's true. But uh, and I think what what's more uh, morning is you know the last you know it looked like Toronto found a way to beat the Montreal Canadiens. You know, I think Vancouver looked at the game tape and said, "Look, this is the way they played against Montreal and almost beat them." You know now. Columbus look at the same tapes going, what did they do to put Montreal on their heels? So from what I'm thinking is, it seems to be the, same, the, the, the teams are watching videos about what works against Montreal, and right now Montreal is not doing anything. They're just continuing on their, on their same road, playing the same style, and hoping for results. Uh, you, can't, you can't hope for Carey Price to carry to the promised promise land. You know, teams are looking at video, they look at it daily, and when a team comes in and has good success against a certain team, everybody wants to cop. Back in my day, we used to always look at game tapes of teams that played well against the Detroit Red Wings, because that was a team in the 90s. So what we did is we tried to copy them, take a page out of their book, and then their face. We made the games very difficult for Detroit, just like a lot of other teams. So now teams are going to start making it very difficult for Montreal. Now, Now, the thing is, Montreal's coaching staff has to find a different way to play the game or else it's going to be all over again. One of the, the coaches' decisions that's been criticized from uh, last night's game is the fact that Al Montoya was in goal for uh, all 10 goals. Do you think Montoya mm-hmm. should have been pulled? At some- well, I'll tell you what, uh, my buddy from Anaheim, uh, Guy Bear, the goalie there, uh, tweeted me last night. You know, he goes, what's going on? <laughs> that's, that's puzzling. He wrote me to me, puzzling on Twitter, and I, I thought for sure Kay Price was coming in for the third period, and I understand you're trying to save him. I understand you don't want to hurt him. But at the same time, too, you, you're destroying one other guy to, to try and save another guy. Look, Kay Price was up and down in the corridor last night, stretching and warming up, because he knew if it was the other way around, he'd want the same thing. I mean, all of a sudden, you don't do that. You just you left him in the net saying, here, Al, it's all on you right now, and sorry, sorry about your luck. I mean, they just kept coming and coming and coming. I think it would have been a good opportunity for Carey Price to go in third and, and say, look, shut the door here for the third, and let's get ready for tomorrow night. Think of it as a pregame skate tonight. And they didn't do it, and I thought that was kind of weird to leave Montoya in the net. And look, 10 goals against, 
I'll tell you what, that's, that's not a good thing you want to have on your resume in your career stats going forward. That was former NHLer Bobby Dulles joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at BobbyDulles1. It's always very insightful to get the point of view from someone who's been in the NHL dressing room and played hockey in the best league of the world. Listen up. It's time for some bad tweets on Habs360. This is a new segment that we started this season on the Habs360 podcast. As you know, Habs360 is the most interactive podcast that you can find. During every episode, we read tweets and read Facebook comments from our listeners and followers. As we browse Twitter, we do stumble on some bad tweets, and every week we give some airtime to the worst tweet. On December 3rd, Rick Stevens shared a bad tweet about Canadian's goaltender, Carey Price. Yeah, this is this is a bad uh, this is bad tweet of the week, maybe the year, I don't know, even longer, maybe the decade. Um, and and maybe this is, you know, um, sometimes we feel bad publicizing bad tweets and and but as they say all publicity is good publicity. So maybe Carl will appreciate this. The bad tweet of the week month year uh, comes from Carl Kovacic. Um and he tweets to the uh, m- uh, the official Montreal Canadiens account and says, "Hey, aren't you guys supposed to be good with Carey Price?" To me, it looks this, exactly the same as when Condon was in net. Total joke. So he is um, he's laying the the problems for this season at the feet of Carey Price, and said the Canadians would be no better off if uh, Mike Condon was in net. And for that, Carl, you get. You get the bad tweet of the week. I'd love to give you the bad tweet of uh, the entire year. Maybe we'll look back and, and compare at the end of the year. But that's, that's the most ridiculous tweet I've read in a very, very long time. And the sad thing is that every time Canadians lose a game, there's always a tweet like that that comes up. A couple of weeks ago, one of our bad tweets was once again criticizing Carey Price. And then when the Canadians win, it's not because of the coach, it's because of Carey Price. So, you know... People have to make up their uh, their mind. That will do it for this week's episode of the Habs 360 podcast. Coming up next week, part two of our best of episodes, we will hear from John Bartlett, voice of the Canadians on Roger Sportsnet, Louis Jean from TV Paul, and more. For the latest Montreal Canadiens news, follow Habs 360 on Twitter and visit allhabs.net. We will leave you with a special video that was made by the Montreal Canadiens of the players doing their best with It Was the Night Before Christmas. My name is Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. Happy holidays, and we will talk to you next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. The Night Before Christmas T'was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there rose such a clatter I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew with a flash Tore open the shutters and threw up a sash. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below.
When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver, so lively and quick. Anyone in a moment, it must be Saint Nick. More rapid than eagles, his cursors they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, now Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot. All his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight to his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly, that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eyes, a twist of his head, soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up to the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <laughs>